Today we're in Matthew chapter 21. You can follow along there if you'd like. But I want to uh, ask you if you remember the television show, The Twilight Zone. Uh, there's you, some of you in here are old enough. It, it was on television from 1959 to 64, and so that's even before my time, but I did see it in reruns. Um, some of my favorite episodes are the ones where you think you know what's going on, and then at the last second, often at the literal last second of the episode, everything gets turned upside down, and everything you thought you knew was completely wrong. And one of the episodes that's like that is one where uh, this alien comes from outer space and comes to Earth. And at first, everyone's kind of skeptical, as you would be when an alien visited Earth. But this alien brings with him technology and brings medicine. And and soon the world is at peace. There's no more war and there's no more disease and, and the Earth is prospering. And so this alien invites everyone to come to his planet. And everyone is so excited and jumps at the chance. Wouldn't it be great to go to this planet where it's, it's perfect? That's the stories. It's like a paradise. And, and everyone wants to go there. And people are getting on rocket ships and heading to this planet. And as they're waiting in line, they're talking about all the great things they're going to experience. And they've received a book from the alien when they first landed. And they were able to decipher the title. And it was How to Serve Man, and so everyone assumed that the book was about how you serve man by making the planet better and, and serve him by being a servant to him. But at the last second, as the, one of the protagonists, one of the heroes of the story is getting on the rocket ship to go to this alien planet, they found out it was a cookbook. And how to serve man is a cookbook. And that the people going to this planet never come back because they are what's on the menu for the aliens. And that's how the episode ends. So you see, it's completely different from what you were expecting the whole time. That's sort of like Matthew chapter 21 today. I want us to see two things, one about Jesus and one about us, that's completely different from what you might think, or certainly what the people in Jesus' day thought. And so Matthew chapter 21 is this parable, the parable of the vineyard Owner. So we're still in the vineyard. We were there last week looking at some workers. Today we are looking at an owner of another parable about a vineyard. Jesus says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. He leased it to tenant farmers and went away. When the time came to harvest fruit, he sent his servants to the farmers to collect his fruit. The farmers took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Again, he said, sent other servants, more than the first group, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those farmers? That's the question. And Jesus has an answer, as well as these listeners. But before we look at the answer, we need to understand where this parable comes in and why Jesus is teaching it. 
Uh, this happens in a very important day in Jesus' last week before his crucifixion and his resurrection. You know, uh, Sunday, of course, it will celebrate it soon, Palm Sunday, the Sunday where Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and even Mary read from that passage this morning, and the people were uh, there welcoming him and singing Hosanna. Well, on Monday, Jesus goes into the temple, and you know this story well too, where he sees the money changers, and he sees them there turning the Lord's house, and especially the place where the Gentiles are supposed to worship God, turning it into a market and making money. And so he runs in there, and he turns over the tables and throws them out, and says that they had made the house of prayer into a den of thieves. Well, Tuesday comes, and he's back in the temple. Do you think those religious leaders were too excited about Jesus coming in and tearing up the, the marketplace and throwing those tables over? And No. And so they come up to Jesus and they confront him. When they come to him and confront him, they ask him this question. The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? That sounds like a reasonable question. Here's, if someone came into this church and started throwing things around, <laughs> wouldn't we say, well, who gave you the right? What authority do you have to come in here and change things and throw things around and make a scene? So it sounds kind of a reasonable question. Except for this wasn't the first time they'd seen Jesus. This wasn't the first time that someone had testified about who Jesus was. By this time, they should have known the answer to that question. In fact, they should have known about it all the way back when John the Baptist was around. That three years or so before this day when they asked by what authority he's doing all of this, John the Baptist was on the scene. And John the Baptist came preaching telling people to repent of their sins and to come back to the Lord because the kingdom of God was at hand. And people did come. And even then, back then, the religious leaders left Jerusalem and they came to see John, to see who he was, to find out what he was about. And it was John the Baptist who first said of Jesus, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to John to be baptized. And it was then when Jesus was baptized, it was obvious who Jesus was. As the Spirit descended like a dove, as Jesus came up out of the water, and as the Father said, this is my Son. So the religious leaders should have known who Jesus was. And, and so, in fact, Jesus points back to John the Baptist... And he asked them a question. I will ask you one question. And if you answer it for me, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. That seemed reasonable. He asked the religious leaders, did John's baptism come from heaven or was it of human origin? Well, they got together and started whispering. As Jesus often did, he'd gotten the best of them right there. They were trapped. If they, had, if they said, Jesus, you know what? John the Baptist, his authority came from heaven. 
then Jesus would have said, well, why didn't you follow him? Why didn't you believe him? Why weren't you baptized? So they couldn't say that. If they said it's from human origin, it's from man, it's not from heaven, they knew that the people thought John was a prophet. So the people would ridicule them. So you know what they said to Jesus? They said, we're not going to answer it. I mean, how could they? They couldn't. So they, at least they were honest in that way. They were honestly saying they can't answer it because they didn't want the consequences that would come with either answer they gave. And so Jesus said to them, well, then I won't answer your question. But then Jesus told three parables immediately after that. The first one, the parable of the two sons, where the one son... Well, the father tells the sons to go do some work. The one says, sure, dad, I'll go do it. And then he just sits at home and does nothing. Maybe you have some kids like that. <laughs> I don't know. The other son says, uh-uh, I ain't doing anything. But then he changes his mind and he goes and does the work. And so Jesus asked, which son did what the father asked? Well, obviously it was the one who actually did the work. The one who changed his mind. The one who repented. Then Jesus tells this parable of the vineyard owner, which we'll come back to in a moment. And then he tells a third one, a wedding banquet, where the invitations go out, but those invited say, we're not going. And then others are invited to take their place. These are the three parables that Jesus says immediately after his authority is questioned. Because Jesus doesn't directly answer their question, but through the parables indirectly, he does answer their question. By what authority has Jesus come to the temple and made it, in a sense, his house and not the religious leader's house? We left the parable after the owner had servants who were, uh, excuse me, had tenants who were working the vineyard and he sent his servants and they beat them and killed them and he sent his son and they beat and killed the son so these tenants have killed every beaten or killed every servant who has come to collect the fruit they even killed the son and Jesus asked what would that landowner do to these tenants well even the religious leaders answered this oh excuse me there there's the question at the end Therefore, when, would the, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those farmers? Religious leaders said he will completely destroy those terrible men and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him his fruit at the harvest. Even they understood what deserved these tenant farmers. They deserved to be thrown out. They deserved to lose their right to be in that vineyard. They deserved to lose all of that and for others to be brought in. So Jesus said this to them. He makes three predictions about these guys. Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord has done. It is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. 
So this is what is surprising about this parable and where the twist comes and what's upside down. I want you to think about these two groups. Well, the one group and this one person. Here are the Pharisees or the religious leaders. I use religious leaders often because it included the Pharisees who were one uh, sect. There was the Sadducees. There were others. Just much like today, we have political parties and religious denominations. There were different groups in Jesus' day. But altogether, these people were the ones who had the education. In our modern-day terms, these were the ones who were, went to seminary. These were the ones who could quote you the Scripture, frontwards and backwards. Uh, these were the people who ran the temple. These were the people that were looked up to as the as is right and to be followed, and they were holy, and these were the leaders, these were the examples of what it meant to be a Jew. That's who these men were. So you would expect, if that's who they were, they would be the ones who would know, these would be the ones to follow, these would be the ones who would make it into the kingdom of heaven, these would be the ones that would be first in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, on the other hand, had no formal education. Jesus was the son of a carpenter, came from one of the worst parts of the Roman Empire, Galilee. So in the terms of those days, he was a nobody, he knew nothing, he was poor, he didn't even have a house, had a few men who followed him around from town to town. Do you see the picture? You would think this man, Jesus, I mean, he's, he's just a poor, wild, crazy man. Why would anyone believe him? Why would anyone follow him? Why would he be of any significance? But this parable tells us that what is reality is the opposite of what I just said. It, in fact, is the religious leaders who should not be followed, who don't know anything, who have no authority. It's the carpenter's son from Galilee with no formal education who is the son of God who has all authority and that's what this parable teaches us notice it says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this is what the Lord has done it is wonderful in our eyes this is from the Psalms in fact the same Psalm where Hosanna comes from that the people had just said a couple of days earlier. And the picture is kind of obvious. If you're building a building, the cornerstone's important. It's the foundation of the whole building. It's the thing that you put the date on and everything to say when you built it. It's very important. So you would imagine when the builders choose that one, they choose one that uh, is especially selected. But this is like, this was like the, <laughs> the Masons were... Looking through the rocks, so throw that one out. That one's no good. This one's no good. So over here in the heap of rubble, the one that's rejected, the one that's no good, the one that no one considered, that's the one that becomes the cornerstone, the 
stone of the whole building comes from the pile of rubble that was rejected by the builders. You see, it's Jesus who is rejected by these leaders who will be exalted by the Father. You think the builders would have the authority and their decisions about what to keep and what to reject should be paramount. But no, it's not the builders who get to choose. It's this thing they rejected and threw away that becomes what is the stone of the building. So Jesus is saying to them, you are rejecting me, but the Father is going to exalt me. He's predicting what's going to happen after his resurrection and when he ascends to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. They would reject him, but God would exalt Jesus. The second part, he says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Jesus is telling these religious leaders, You are rejecting me, therefore the kingdom of God is not going to come to you. Just like they had said, those tenant farmers, that's who they were. When the prophets came, they killed them. When the son came, they were going to kill him. And because of that, God was going to take the kingdom away from them and give it to someone else. And horror of horror, that's being given to the Gentiles. Taken away from the chosen people, taken away from uh, the Jews and given to the Gentiles. Could you, uh, that's can't even be thought of. I mean, the Jews despised the Gentiles. They were uncircumcised. They were pagans. They were the lowest of the low. And that's who's going to get the kingdom? This doesn't mean that God rejected the nation forever. There's a promise that he would restore them. But the point Jesus is making here to these religious leaders, you've lost it. You had a chance. You rejected me. You're just like these tenant farmers. You're going to be destroyed. In fact, that's what he says at the end. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. Have you ever thought of Jesus as being dangerous? Destructive? I find it interesting when we talk about Jesus as our rock... We're talking about him being uh, someone, a comfort to us or someone who gives us strength. Someone, especially in our time of storm or time of need, we need someone to pray to, to cling to, to give us stability. Jesus is our rock, and that is true. But here, Jesus, the rock, is crushing, destroying. The image is someone maybe falling off the top of a building onto a rock. The rock upon which they fall kills them. The picture is a rock, this cornerstone, being thrown down on someone and crushing their skull. Do you usually think of Jesus the rock that way? <laughs> I, don't, I haven't heard any songs like that. You know, rock of Jesus who crushed my head. You no, know, I haven't heard that song. So, but this is what the picture is. Because you see, there's a decision to be made. That's the whole point of what's happening here on this Tuesday. Is Jesus has come into the city. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The religious leaders and most of the nation are saying, Who is this guy? What authority does he have? 
He has all authority because He is the Son of God. And so there's a choice. Are you going to choose Him or reject Him? If you reject Him, you lose the kingdom of heaven, you are doomed, there's no hope for you. That's Jesus' warning to these religious leaders. And really it's a warning to everyone who hears of Jesus, knows who He is, and says, no, I don't want Jesus. I don't want what He offers. I don't want what He stands for. When someone does that, there is no hope for them if, as long as they stay in that state of rejection. There's always hope that someone can repent. But what I mean is if they never do repent and stay in that state, there's no hope. On the day of their judgment, they'll be condemned by the Lord. They'll be sent to hell. You can't get any more crushing than that. And that's what happens to those who reject the Lord. And notice what has happened here. Again, the tables have been turned. Who should be followed? Who has the authority? Not these religious leaders, but Jesus. This is also what the, uh, the religious leaders realized. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they knew he was speaking about them. They got it. They understood it. But notice their response. Although they were looking for a way to arrest him, they feared the crowds because the people regarded him as a prophet. They knew, but they rejected with full knowledge. And in fact, they didn't fear God at all. They feared the crowd. How sad to have no fear of God, only fear of other people. Now there was another group, and you want to see some tables turned upside down and things that you think you know, you realize isn't the truth. In the society in which Jesus lived, the people looked up to the religious leaders as the people to follow. But Jesus says, don't follow them. Follow the prostitutes. Now, who would ever give that advice? Uh, again, I mean, that just sounds crazy. Why would Jesus say that? He didn't say it in those words, but he did tell them this. Truly, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. This is in the parable of the two sons, just before the one I read to you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds then and believe him. Now this is what I want you to hear this morning as well. Because someone who's sitting in a sanctuary in a church building isn't going to be someone who's saying, Yep, I'm rejecting the Lord. Oh yes, I'm one who rejects him. And so what happens is we hear a parable like this and we say, those Pharisees, I mean, how could they? I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I've not rejected the Lord. I'm glad the rock, Jesus, isn't going to crush my head. And we kind of think this parable is not for me. But the parable is for us because I know you have not rejected Jesus. In fact, Probably everyone here has accepted him. 
and has accepted him in faith and received his gift of salvation. But even Christians can have a heart and an attitude like a Pharisee, even though we haven't rejected Christ. And really what we should keep in mind is to have this heart attitude of the tax collectors and the Pharisees, uh, excuse me, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, these sinners. Again, what preacher would say, have the heart attitude of a sinner? Well, that's what Jesus is saying. And I want you to see this slide. And I want you to think about the ways that... We often are like Pharisees when we should be like the prostitutes. You see, those sinners wanted a relationship with Jesus more than they wanted religion. The Pharisees just wanted a religion. They wanted their temple. They wanted their robes. They wanted their rituals. They wanted their sacrifices. But their hearts were far from God. Can't that happen to Christians too? We're more focused on a religion and a relation than, than a relationship. Pharisees became very judgmental, looking down on those they perceived less than them. When the other sinners just saw the grace that was in Christ and were gracious toward each other, they came with humility, realizing they were sinners and they needed a savior. The religious leaders were self-righteous and proud. They didn't need God, they didn't need a savior. The religious leaders demanded to be followed and demanded a kingdom. But the sinners were just thankful that Jesus spoke to them and offered to them grace. The Pharisees were hypocrites. On the outside, they looked like they were holy, but on the inside, they were vile and evil. At least the sinners were honest about who they were. They knew that they were tax collectors and prostitutes and needed a savior. And therefore, they repented of their sin. How often do we rationalize our sin rather than repent of it? We make excuses for it. Everyone else does it. It's not that bad. God doesn't really care that much about this particular sin. That sounds like a Pharisee, not a Christian. We are to be filled by the Spirit, Paul commands us. That's to allow the Spirit to move us and... When the Spirit moves us, we obey us. But the Pharisees, when they saw the Spirit of God at work, they put a wet blanket on it, quenched it. And we as Christians can do the same thing. As God moves us, we can say no. And that's a heart of a Pharisee. The Pharisees disobeyed, but the sinners obeyed and followed. As Jesus said, they believed John the Baptist, and they repented. The Pharisees had no belief. As I said earlier, who did the religious leaders fear? They feared people rather than God. So as I come to pray, I want you to look at that list. And that's just a list I came up with. You could add to it. But do you see this parable is for those, even though you're not someone who's saying, reject God, reject God. In our hearts, we still can have that attitude that led the Pharisees to say that. So I want us to think 
If you see yourself in that list on the Pharisee side, right now is our time to repent, to become like a sinner in Jesus' day. Let's take our time right now to pray and to respond. Heavenly Father, your word is clear this morning. And so my prayer is simple. I pray right now, Lord, that we would be like those tax collectors and prostitutes who came in humility to you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, wherever there's in our heart any unbelief or rejection or selfishness or self-righteousness, hypocrisy, judgmentalism, uh, disbelief, unbelief, quenching you, God. I just pray if there's any of that in our hearts that right now we would confess it and repent it and get rid of it so that, Jesus, we can follow you. The cornerstone, the rock of salvation, our risen Lord. And I pray, Jesus, in your name.